0: Welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. In this podcast, our goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices, instead look for the processes and the questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. I'm Will Patch, Senior Enrollment Insights Leader at Niche, and my guest today is Corinne Myers. Corinne is a marketing strategist at Convince and Convert and has a lot of great experience with digital and traditional marketing. Most recently, you might also recognize her name from her time as the Associate Director of Marketing at the University of Michigan. Uh, We're going to talk about something that actually came about uh, when Corinne really had this really great tweet uh, that kind of sparked a discussion and and made me rethink some of how I I define some things. So I'm excited to get everyone uh, in on that conversation. Welcome. Thanks for making time to chat today, Corinne. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to start off with two questions I ask everyone. So first up here, what's something you tried that didn't work and what did you learn from that?
1: Gosh, I feel like this could get like super philosophical, but I was actually thinking about my time at U of M, the University of Michigan. I should stop using acronyms like a true higher ed person. (laughs) And I was thinking about deadlines and how my team, I I managed a team of four and we would work on pretty large projects for campus. We would essentially the in-house agency for campus and Mm -hmm. we'd have these deadlines. And I tried to control the way these milestones and, and, and these deadlines, I try to control the way my team approach them. So if we had something due, you know, in three weeks, I'd check in and say, do you have this done yet? Or do you have this updated yet? And what I found out is, you know, why manage in that way, right? So if, it's a, if there's a deadline established, why do we care how anybody gets there, right? We all work differently. For me personally, I like to dedicate big blocks of time to something but I found out that my team, in some cases, like to work on things, you know, in short bursts, for example, and so I, I found this kind of interesting, you know, if we all work differently and we want to accomplish a goal, as long as you know there's specific milestones and deadlines in place, why don't we let people work the way they want to work? Um, and I think that was super almost liberating for myself as well, thinking about how the way I work, you know, looking at others and being like, well, why I don't do well in that way. I don't I don't do well with short bursts of, of productivity, I do better with big blocks. And moving into convince and convert and doing a lot of client based big projects, you know, 45 page strategy documents. Mm-hmm. I found that I if I let myself work the way I want to work, and it just as long as I'm hitting deadlines, not worry about the right way I guess, to approach that workflow. And so I thought that was an interesting insight from, from my not only management time, but also as a personal, you know, keeping myself on task kind of format.
0: As a manager, did you have any of that anxiety of, oh, I I hope they're at halfway done by now? or, Or how'd you get past some of that if you had it?
1: I did. I think I had it more so before I realized that, you know, micromanaging how they worked wasn't going well. So I think, you know, touch points and are you stuck on anything or are there any roadblocks that I can help kind of get rid of um, were good touch points, but really making sure and trusting my team would get it done during the a lot of time was really the best approach.
0: Yeah. And did you have any, any trouble once you made that shift of things not getting done or was everything running smoothly still?
1: You know, it was less stressful for me and for my team. And I think, you know, I my team was amazing. They still are. They're still at U of M, um, amazing team. And I think, you know, I, I trusted them before that, but putting that trust and showing that trust toward that team um, was definitely beneficial. And I think if there were issues, there weren't. But if there were, it's more of addressing them as opposed to not trusting them to be, to do the task in the beginning, you know, trust first, and then we can evaluate if it doesn't yeah. work out.
0: Okay that's great advice. What are some practices used to brainstorm and bring new ideas into your work?
1: I like to approach problems and projects um, backwards so I like to understand mm-hmm. what the end thing needs to look like. So mm-hmm. the deliverable, the report, what does it what do we want it to say or what should it look like and then from there work backwards. And in working backwards, I like to get different perceptions of of how to approach the issue. So if we need a, report, let's say a social report, it needs to say X, Y, and Z, and it needs to go to a leadership team, for example, I actually like to ask different colleagues in different scenarios how they would approach it. I love hearing different perspectives, especially the perspectives of individuals who are on those front lines. I think we tend to kind of work in our own little bubbles and silos, but asking cross teams about their opinion on an approach, I think is super insightful, because you don't understand, you don't, you don't know what experiences they've had, or what they've been working on. And I think their, their experiences can really shape that deliverable. So I really go around and I ask kind of questions to my team about, this is the solution I want to get to. How would you go about it? And kind of just listen to them talk through it, kind of unprompted. I don't give them any sort of notice that I'm going to ask this question. I really like Mm -hmm. that unprompted kind of live brainstorming that you get um, from your colleagues.
0: Are you looking at the goals or are you looking at, well, this has to be a report. How do we pull together the right information for that report?
1: I think it goes both ways. I think there's goals of, you know, we need a interesting messaging statement for this campaign what would you say all the way down to you know what this report needs to say this how would you approach it in a way okay. that makes sense to the people being reported to
0: okay and then do you go back especially on, on that type of example do you have sort of a, um, a a follow-up then at the end of did this meet our needs or can we plan for the next time we have to do this
1: I'm a big fan of postmortems. We call them postmortems, although that's probably a really (laughs) dark term for them. I Um, (laughs) I just
0: really, I almost said that and I said, ah, that's, that always sounds so bad. Let's find another way of saying it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I enjoy the uh, post thing review, I guess. Um, I do enjoy those. I think what's interesting about our industry is I don't feel like there's any wrong answers right? Mm -hmm. What we do is very subjective as communicators. Something that I like versus what you like, what channel you like versus what I like. It's very subjective. Mm -hmm. So I enjoy different perspectives and different ways to solve a problem. It's not a math equation. There's not one right answer. There's multiple answers. And I think I appreciate those different perspectives and and testing and learning based on what what feedback I get.
0: Well, let's dive into the meat of it here. I mentioned that you'd post something. I, I don't always think about the definition. I mean, there's things you hear about and you just kind of run with it and you say, well, okay, we plan around this. I like the critical view you took on this. So, so let's talk through, could you talk about how you view influencers, content creators, and thought leaders differently?
1: Sure. I think it's interesting. So the reason I was thinking about this so intimately, so I wrote the TikTok strategy for Visit California recently And they're actually a pretty small team and they were trying to ensure that they could populate their channel with content um, in a way that wouldn't strain their team. And so we were thinking about like, how do we do this? How do we create content for their channel in a way that's efficient and effective, but stays true to their brand? I don't know if you know this, but TikTok actually launched a creator marketplace. It's like a dating app almost for creators. Like you go in there as a brand and you find TikTok users who create content and you can ask them to give you content to populate your channel. I think this would be so great for higher ed because they've got, you know, students, there's, there's such a wide range of individual creators on the on the platform. And so we're using those, but you know, their marketing team mentioned influencers. And I'm like, well, it's not quite the same thing as what we're looking for. We're not looking for influencers in the sense that we're looking for reach or that person's mm-hmm. account. We're looking for content, pure content. And so I thought through this and I was thinking about, it was so thought leaders, right? So someone who's got original ideas, like new ways of looking at problems or has like a unique solution within their industry. And in higher ed, we think about like the president or C-suite or faculty or researchers, like those kinds of thought leaders. Then we've got influencers, right? Somebody who has a community they've already built around their lifestyle, their quirks or personality, maybe an expertise of some kind, and they are influencing that community to take an action. But then there's also this other group that I don't think we talk about, which are creators. And I think the creator is like an individual who's creating content purposely for maybe education or entertaining. And I think there's these three distinct groups that we don't necessarily distinguish between when thinking about how content is created and, and how we're populating accounts. That's how it kind of came about is like I have to separate these things um, in order to understand better how to get content onto our platform first, onto our account first, versus, you know, just using an influencer for their their account, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense.
0: I always try and classify things so I can get a better a better picture. So we have this large circle of creators, anyone kind of creating content either for themselves, for a brand, for just fun, trying to get attention and I think of at least influencers and thought leaders as subsets of those with some overlap. Uh, where, where do you see this all fitting together?
1: Yeah. So I see creator as like the big bubble mm-hmm. inside there are influencers. I think influencers are always creators, but creators aren't always influencers yeah. and then kind of hanging outside of those bubbles are thought leaders. And I say that because working with, for example, presidents of, of universities, um, they're not necessarily creating content. They're not content creators in in the the sense that I would say, the lens through which digital marketing is viewed. You know, you've got either their social team is managing it, their public affairs team, somebody Mm -hmm. else is doing that for them. They're probably approving or, you know, giving them quotes, but they're not creating content, but they're a thought leader. And I think that that's a distinguished term because of of how they are getting their thoughts out, but they're not creating content. Um, And then, like I said, influencers, are always creators, but their creators are not always influencers. Mm -hmm. I know several creators who are just creating content because they enjoy it, but they're not quite to that influencer level yet.
0: Yeah. I think, I think creators, I think there used to be almost accidental creators, people who just would create things for fun that would then blow up and lots of people enjoyed them. Uh, I think of the, was it the peanut butter jelly time thing where it was just a guy who did it (laughs) for fun and then all of a sudden everyone loves it. Are there intentional and unintentional thought leaders and influencers?
1: Man, that's a great question. I think people won't know that you're a thought leader unless you're expressing those thoughts. So I think that there no. has to be some intention there. Otherwise, you're kind of just quietly sitting in your office talking to yourself, I guess. So yeah, I think I think thought leaders have to be pretty intentional. I think you're right though, with creators in that some of them accidentally become influencers. But looking at Instagram and TikTok, we ha- I mean, there are students creating content about universities all the time. And they're not influencers. They're just content creators. They enjoy the creation of content for their mm-hmm. channels. And maybe they have hopes of becoming something more, but in this, this time, they're, they're not quite there. So I think those are creators in the sense that I'm, I'm talking about with it. They're good at creating content. They know, they understand the trends and the tools. They're not quite to the influencer stage.
0: Okay. Yeah. With an influencer, you could have, let's even say on campus, there's the influencers who are actively trying to be the trendsetters. And then maybe there's the people who aren't creating the content. They aren't creating these things, but just by being themselves and having their own personality, they, people want to be like them and they're influenced by them. Would, would you count that as a influencer who's not actively creating content, but as influencer because other people cover them?
1: I think, I think for the purposes of my definitions, mm-hmm. I view it through a content strategist lens. Yeah. So in my world, if you are not creating content in the sense that your blogs, blogs, social media content, you're not mm-hmm. a creator. I think in other cases that might be true, but I think in this, in, in my case, anyway, for my purposes, yeah. creators have to be producing content okay. themselves.
0: Yeah. So basically in a, in a tactical view and something we can actually use. <laughs>
1: yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: So now I mean getting into that tactical, how do we use each group for marketing?
1: Yeah, I think in in terms of thought leaders, for example, organizations, institutions use thought leaders for multiple reasons, right? They they're building trust and humanizing the brand. Mm-hmm. They're showcasing expertise. And recently, I think, is a lot of employee engagement. If you see your boss or your leadership engaging in thought leadership, you feel some pride there and, you you know, mm-hmm. kind of also engage in that. So I think there's a level of employee engagement also involved in thought leadership. For influencers, you know, I, you see a couple of universities actually already doing this. Influencers, you th- they have a, a large account base, right? So they've got reach um, and they can reach bigger audiences, a wider audience, especially more than a brand could ever hope to reach. Brand mm-hmm. alignment, right? So an influencer of a particular group of people or a taste in, you know, something or rather, right. We're trying Mm -hmm. to align the brand to what that person represents and then conversion. Really. I think there's something to be said about low funnel conversion with those influencers.
0: Would you say that's more what we're seeing with McDonald's and all their, their specialized menu items tied to a person? Yeah, I think so. I think,
1: I think so. Yeah, for sure. I think there's, I think influencers is what we see most Mm -hmm. across brands. I think what brands are missing, especially um, smaller brands or you know even higher ed, I think they're missing out on that creator group. There are people who are great at creating content. There, I would call them. So I think there's like a, a actually a significant overlap between you know you hear about these nano or micro influencers and creators. Yeah. I think there's something there where maybe they're the the same people or they're like on the verge of being the same people. Because those smaller, very niche groups of individuals uh, who are talking to very small niche groups, I think those creators are a unique opportunity for brands because they can create content for you in ways that, you know, they understand, again, the tools, the trends, um, what's happening, and they're kind of on the front lines. You can align your brand to who they are as a personality, uh, but also you can populate your own channel with their content you know you're not going after their reach but you're going after after that that content and the feel of their brand
0: what would what would be some examples of some campaigns or conversion goals that you you think would be best utilized by thought leaders versus influencers versus creators where how do we kind of specialize our goals to who we want to try and identify
1: yeah so you think about higher ed, for example, presidents and faculty and researchers, that thought Mm -hmm. leadership really, I think goes into rankings and kind of the prestige Mm -hmm. and brand of the university, right? We Mm -hmm. want to make sure that, you know, the university is seen as like this cutting edge in research you can't do that without thought leadership which is that original thought Mm -hmm. kind of trailblazing ideas. I think that there, for influencers, and I've seen a couple of universities do this, I think there's some upper funnel, especially as we get away from the ability to target 18 and under on these ad platforms, there's something to be said about influencer campaigns for enrollment, especially if those influencers look like your students, right? So um, young influencers um, or non-traditional student influencers, those kinds of individuals who really can go beyond the brand channels, your own channels and find individuals who would be interested in what they have to say and then obviously push them toward the university or organization. I think those are lower funnel and can be aware. Those could be across the whole funnel and really could contribute to enrollment goals for sure. Yeah, and I think for content creators, I think, you know, I keep mentioning TikTok. I think higher ed is really getting into TikTok and seeing how impactful it can be Mm -hmm. In terms of not only enrollment, but student engagement and retention, you have to have content on your own channels, but it's so hard for these small teams to consistently keep up with content production. And I think there's an opportunity here in that case for a content creator, again, who can create content and you can use on your own channel Mm
0: -hmm. with content creators. Are are we thinking of those as basically they create it and then you're able to post on your channel using their face, name recognition, and that? Or are you hoping they post it on their channel and you get to use their audience?
1: I think it's more so your own channel. So them creating content for your channel. It's, you know, the student interns, right? They're creating content for your channel. I would consider them content creators or even student ambassadors, right? They are doing it on behalf of the university and populating your channels. They should definitely be paid. But they're content creators for those purposes and you're hiring them. And what better people to hire than individuals again that look like your students can mm-hmm. be on the front lines and classrooms and that you know events and create content and then also just in you know drop it onto your channel for that that purpose
0: mm-hmm. yeah what would be a good starting point do you think for a smaller institution that might want to kind of try out something like this or we're hearing a lot in pk through 12 schools too that they want to try out an influencer campaign or or something like they I mean, influencer campaigns get used as a blanket term, but right. <laughs> they want to try something to reach a new audience, expand their audience where their audience might be more parents. Even My
1: answers always start with a content strategy and that's, that's mm-hmm. not a marketing strategy. That is a content strategy in that, okay. you know, your pillars, you know, the key themes that you're going to talk about and kind of bucket content underneath, you're going to Mm. understand your journey, student journey, and what questions they're asking per stage of the journey, and then answering those questions through content, and then go from there. I think going from a channel base, I would consider thought leaders, influencers, and content creators almost channel-like, as opposed to a higher level strategy approach. So I would get that strategy first, and then identify areas of opportunity for those three buckets.
0: Okay. And when could you define for people a content versus a marketing strategy and, and what a content strategy might look like is it a calendared type strategy. Is it buckets like for visual assets? Here's what we want to be able to do for text. Here's what we want to be able to do.
1: That's a great question. The way I think about content versus marketing, I content to me is the highest level of strategy because it defines your brand, your messaging what you say and who you are. Basically, if you had to personify yourself, your brand into a person, what would that person say, think, do, how would they react to things? And I think content strategy is the highest level. From there, marketing is how you take that content strategy and push it out to individuals. Mm-hmm. So I think really getting that content strategy you know, honed in and agreed upon will then help you decide, is it going to go on Facebook? Is it going to go on TikTok? Okay, well, Well, if it's going to go on TikTok, what kinds of creators, influencers, or thought leaders could we then tap into?
0: Okay. Yeah, I'd be willing to bet most people don't have a content strategy. They have a marketing and they have a brand strategy, but they don't have what do we actually create?
1: Yes. And I think what's hard for individual teams is if you don't have a content strategy, you start producing random acts of content, which just, (laughs) you kind of get into this wheel of spinning where you're creating content that actually isn't doing much for you, Mm -hmm. but you keep producing and producing. So a content strategy will prevent, (laughs) yep, exactly. I'm actually convinced that most institutions could not create new content for a whole year, not create any new content for a whole year and be okay because of the amount of content they have and the ability to cut it up and put it into different channels and a content strategy would help facilitate that
0: yeah how do you reuse what you already have so you're not
1: absolutely
0: yeah maybe maybe that's one of the big call to actions that one of the one of the accidental call to actions out, out of this is go build a content strategy (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, I'm happy. You know what? You know you can tweet me, I'd be happy to point or answer questions or anything, please. Um, I love content strategy, and I, it makes me excited. so <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, we we've talked a lot about the the strategy of it, and you know, I think one of the things that people don't always know how to do is how do you find your thought leaders, your influencers, your creators, how do you find them and then support and nurture them?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. When I consult with organizations about, for example, employee engagement and how important it is to, to engage employees, we tell organizations to look for the people who are kind of, they're basically raising their hand already, right? Mm-hmm. So they're, they're active maybe on social media personally, or they like to have conversations and they, they're, they're consuming content, they're, they're mm-hmm. making suggestions. So there's already people who are already sort of doing this. They just need some help. Thought leaders, sometimes you're in a you're in a director position and you're automatically a thought leader is kind of just comes with the mm-hmm. job. But I think there are staff and faculty who really could be thought leaders just given the opportunity. And so I think it's a matter of, hey, you know, we're looking to, you know, launch this program or campaign and really ask the team, like, is anyone interested in, in talking about, you know, what sort of content or topic or theme they could really speak to? And I think it's important for managers to understand, you know, does anybody on your team have aspirations to do this and really kind of bubbling them up and giving them that opportunity to be a thought leader? It doesn't have to be a president. It doesn't have to be a, sweet, a C-suite person. It could be anybody, I think, as long as they're, you know, they really have a point of view and are, and are changing the way we're, we're doing things. And I think in terms of influencers and creators, I think especially for universities, social listening, um, is a huge tool. And if you've got students who are already doing this and all you got to do is listen a little closely and you'll find those individuals and students who could really be propped up and again, help facilitate what they're doing, make them interns, um, obviously offer them compensation to really become the, the voice of your channels.
0: Yeah. We'll, we'll pull out that uh, soapbox again, that if you have student workers doing work, they should be getting paid.
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes,
0: <laughs> you want the best people doing the best work? Pay them.
1: Right, and it's also there's, there's some you know moral obligations there as well, even if they're willing to volunteer, right, doing the right thing by mm-hmm. them, and they are they are influencing enrollment at your institution or whatever the, the, whatever the goal of the campaign is, so to not compensate them is a little dubious.
0: Yeah, yeah, almost says that you don't expect it to have an effect. Exactly. You know, are thought leaders basically your conference presenters then as well? Is that the people you tap for that? Or how do we how do we turn our creators and influencers into speakers as well?
1: I think, yeah, I think this could go lots of directions. We know I, you know, in the higher ed space specifically, there are several coordinators and specialists who are mm-hmm. doing things today that's that's thought leadership, right? And I could like, you know, name off like six or seven of them, but they're changing the way I, like operations, they're, they are creating templates and air table. They're speaking to the importance of accessibility. There's these, these individuals who are already thought leaders in our space and in the higher ed space, who I think are, are doing it as creators or influencers, mm-hmm. um, but really could be could be used as thought leaders in a a larger capacity and really make a difference. I think at institutions really, you know, honing in and and using your employees and the people existing already in your institution to make a difference, especially, you know, young professionals, I think is a, is a great idea and is a missed opportunity.
0: Do you have any advice on, you know, you, you have someone that you see has a, a talent either in photography or creating video, creating animations how do you nurture them to help advocate for your brand? Is it, is it some official document? Is it official brand training? Is it just you pay them and, and hope that they do things the right way that, that you love?
1: Yeah, I think this comes back to an employee engagement strategy, mm-hmm. honestly. And I think it's, it doesn't have to be employees, right? it could be students, it could be you know whatever the, yeah. w- the group of people. Having strong guidelines that don't stifle those individuals is important. So let's, we've, we've probably defaulted to like social, right? Some individual employee is really active on social media. And if we just gave them some guidelines and some, you know, an hour a day of paid time to create content for us, like that would be, you know, a huge impact on, Mm -hmm. let's say recruitment, you know, um, staff recruitment. So I think there's opportunities, I think there's some guidelines here to have strong social media guidelines, what do we say and don't say that kind of stuff, and just giving them the opportunity to on company time to take that and, and go to the next level. I think, you know, recruitment, For staff, faculty, students really could be easier if we actually leaned on our current staff and faculty and students Mm. to do a lot of that work. And again, those brands cannot reach the individuals that those employees are reaching because of those, those accounts. So I, I think we're missing an opportunity. And I think leaning into that individual, making sure they want to do that, of course, and giving them the resources and education. They may be starting in a different position. Maybe they don't understand marketing, or maybe they really do, and they just need help understanding how to take a, a photo. Whatever the case may be, I think it has to be individualized education, but really supporting them and giving them an opportunity again on company time to to explore and, and really push that brand out, you know, individuals people trust people not brands and so you know it goes a lot farther than a brand saying it out
0: loud where do you think that line is between hey be you and and be engaging and well make sure that you follow our brand language guidelines and make sure you say residence hall not dorm and and all that
1: oh gosh (laughs) especially in higher ed right we're like you know we like clutch our brand to our chest and don't want anybody to touch it that's a whole like other issue, dorm versus residence hall. Anyway, I think there's, <laughs> I think we have, to, if higher ed is going to be where they want to be and continue to, you know, stay kind of have employees who are knowledgeable in their, in their areas and, and want to work there, they're going to have to allow some more freedom. And so to expect a student ambassador or an employee to like check off thirty boxes of brand guidelines before they post something is it's ridiculous, and honestly, you don't control your brand that well, right? Your brand is what other people say about your brand, and so allowing that freedom and that authenticity is way more important than making sure that the logo is three tenths of the way off the yeah. the left side <laughs> line, right? You know, it's a little ridiculous. Yeah. So I think I think there needs to be more freedom, and we're seeing this in TikTok users are taking content and ideas and messaging and they're dubbing them, they're making them their own. And the brands Mm -hmm. who are leaning in to that kind of translation of their brand are the ones that are going to win. The other ones that are very stagnant and not allowing for that creativity are the ones that are going to suffer.
0: Yeah. Are there any pitfalls that people make sure to avoid if they want to start doing this type of work?
1: You know, I think... It's about content strategy, a high-level content strategy. It's also about knowing what does success look like because you can't just go out and, like, ask a creator to do something without, like, guidelines, right? You need to have, like, a creative brief and, like, here's what we're looking for and here's what we want to accomplish and do and providing that framework for them to, again, in their own words and in their own way, accomplish that goal. But, again, it needs to be very, like, you have to go in knowing what success looks like and what that what that end goal is And without that, again, you're going to be creating random acts of content and it's gonna be expensive <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah are there are there any other tips or advice or thoughts you have here before uh, before we kind of wrap up so I don't I don't want to miss something?
1: Um, I think that. I think this is an interesting, almost like an epiphany for me in terms of Hmm. defining these three groups. And I think it's interesting. And I, and I don't know that in the past that I thought about creators in this way. And then if we, if we think about creators as their own distinct group, you know, maybe that YouTube channel you've been neglecting could have content on it. If you leaned into this creator bucket, as opposed to influencers, right? Maybe, you could do more in content uh, production than you thought if you just kind of almost outsourced it to your own creator creators. Who said it has to be one? It could be 20, right? As long as they yeah. align with your brand. So I think that there's an opportunity here that I personally hadn't thought about before, but now I'm thinking more closely about in terms of channel population.
0: Yeah, and, and I'm really glad that you you shared your thoughts. I mean, you were a thought leader and you-, you... <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's one of those that I, you know, I had, I wouldn't have thought of this deeply about how to use them. And, and I'm just glad that you were able to share your thoughts with everyone. So thank yeah,
1: you. Yeah. I, yeah, no problem. I was like, Oh man, I should, I should say this out loud. So it worked yeah. out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this should be a, a call to action for anyone else that uh, is out there thinking deeply about different topics and just doesn't share them with the world. So yeah, you we'll know, it's Yeah, yeah.
1: Do, do it. Yes. You know what, yeah. what, what's the worst that could happen?
0: Well, thank you so much, Corinne. Uh, If someone wants to continue the conversation, how can they get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, I'm at Corinne Myers on Twitter. That's probably the best way to reach me. C-O-R-Y-N-N. Myers is M-Y-E-R-S. DM me or tweet. That's, That's probably the fastest way. Thank you. Thank you.